So um, if you want to pull out your Bible, we're going to be in the, the book of James, uh, chapter 4. We're going to be at verses 13 through 17 this morning. And uh, I think that's cool that rather than um, having a moment of prayer, we had a moment of prayer. We just sang that prayer. It's kind of cool. Um, thank you, Lord. And so um, as, we, as you know, church, we've been in the book of James now for 12 weeks. We've been going through the book of James, and we're, um, we're almost to the last chapter so uh, we're at the end of chapter four. And, and as we've been talking about, James is a book, it is a letter from the half-brother, half-younger brother of Jesus, and that he writes to the church, to Christians. This is who he's addressing. And in addressing the church, he sees a significant issue in the church that there is, uh, the church and, and Christians are claiming to have faith in Christ, but yet their lives don't seem to be looking like they have faith in Christ. He sees a disconnect between the faith they claim and the life they live. And so um, I mentioned this last week that if there was a thesis statement for the book of James, and that thesis statement would sound something kind of like, um, your real faith is not what you say you believe. It's shown, your real faith is shown by how you live. It's shown through your actions by what you say and what you do. And um, this morning, is no different from that, and so we're going to jump into it. And this morning, uh, kind of the big takeaway we're going to look at is how James contrasts um, humility and arrogance. And we're going to see that this morning. And so if you'll look there with me, James 4, 13 through 17, says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Um, now, let me start by saying the nomadic merchant lifestyle uh, was very common during this time. And so what, would, what was really common is you'd have someone who was a carpenter, let's say, kind of like Jesus. And let's say they were a cabinet maker. They would move to a, a region or a town or a village. And while they were there, they would gather a clientele and build cabinets for people in the village. And then whenever that clientele kind of dried up and they made cabinets for everyone who would essentially buy them from them at some point, then once that clientele had kind of dried up, they would move on to a new town to do the same thing at that other place. So they might have been there for a few years if it was a very large city, or they could have been there for a few months if it was uh, a smaller village. But that is kind of what he's referencing here. So come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Let me pray for us. Father, um, this is your word, and we ask this morning that you help us to understand it, to apply it, um, that your word might infiltrate our minds and our hearts this morning. Um, help me to convey the truth that you have given to me this week in my preparation. Um, be with me. Um, hold my tongue where I, I don't need to say something and, and give me the words where I do. 
give us the ears to hear you this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me briefly unpack our passage. Um, you might see uh, where this is, how this applies. Maybe you don't. So I just want to briefly unpack this passage because there's been a lot of misinterpretations of this passage I have seen in the past. And so um, James here is speaking to Christians, as I mentioned just a minute ago. And, and I want to point out he's not rebuking the, the church. He's not rebuking people for being nomadic merchants. So, like I said, this is just, this is an example that he's using, really, of a common lifestyle of people at that time. He's not rebuking people who are living nomadic merchant lifestyles. Um, He's also not rebuking people who are seeking to make a profit. Um, That is not what he's rebuking here, um, or or the system, capitalism, anything like that. Uh, He's not rebuking that. And the big one that I've seen a misinterpretation of this passage is that James is not here rebuking people who diligently plan for the future. It's not what's happening. So in fact, if you look at verse 15 with me again, you'll see that he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that, this or that. So James here is not rebuking people who are planning because this implies that planning is going to happen. If the Lord wills, we will go and do this or that. So there is a plan, but that plan is contingent upon God's will. And so if he's not rebuking people who plan, he's not rebuking those other things, then what is he rebuking? And I mentioned this a minute ago. He's rebuking um, arrogance and pride. How so? So... um, He's rebuking Christians who, who live and operate and, and plan out their lives as if, as if they are the ultimate authority. They, they plan out their lives. They, they do everything. They spend everything on, on their own desires. They plan everything in their life to fit their own desires. And they live as if they have ultimate control over everything that happens in their life. And so they're planning... Um, or maybe I could say it this way, they're, they're, they're confessing Christ with their mouth, but when you look at their life practically, he's not actually Lord. Because they're planning and they're doing everything as if they are their own Lord. So, and do you see how that's a, that would obviously be a problem? Yes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a disconnect between the way that they're living and what they claim to believe. And so James is saying that this lifestyle is arrogant and sinful. Arrogantly planning out our life as if we are the ultimate authority in our own lives. And these people that he's speaking to, you and I, know that they are supposed to live lives humbly dependent on God, but they're seeking to live independently of him. And James says in verse 17 that to do this is a sin because we know what we ought to do, but to refrain from doing that thing is a sin. So, our passage at its core is contrasting arrogance and humility. And if, we, if you remember back in previous weeks, uh, a lot of chapter 4 talks about humility. Cliff's sermon two weeks ago talked about humility. My sermon last week uh, brought up humility when, when James asked the question, who are you? Right? And so, we can see a contrast between arrogance and humility because a humble heart seeks the will of God and plans of God when they are figuring out the direction that they should go. They're humbly seeking the Lord in his ultimate authority. 
and an arrogant heart plans their future with no regard for God and his calling upon their life. Um, so that is kind of a breakdown of our passage, but uh, to get into some application this morning, our, our sermon title, let me start with that, our sermon title this morning is that a faith that works depends on God. A faith that works depends on God, as we've been going through this idea of a faith that works. And this morning, I've got two points for you. The first one is that you are finite. You're like, yeah, I know, Pierce. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Well, um, if you look in our passage, James calls you a mist. And the Greek word in our, uh, in our passage for mist, it, it can actually mean mist or vapor or smoke. So it is something that's there briefly and goes away. And I was always thinking this week about vapor or smoke or mist. I couldn't help but think about a tool I guess you could call it a tool. As Cliff has been looking at a lot of tools, I have one here. If I don't mess it up. And for those of you, I'll try to point it. You're like, what is this, a coffee maker? That's what someone asked me today. Um, this little tool, if it will work, you probably have one. Maybe not. Is a humidifier, right? Yes. And Karen and I have this, and it is awesome because it puts out a lot of humidity, as you can see. But it's interesting. This vapor, this smoke, this is what James compares you to. And what kind of characteristics can we see about it? Am I the only one that's fascinated by just watching that? <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool, yeah. Fluid dynamics, right? Um, so what can we tell about it? What characteristics can we see about vapor? Well, first of all, it's, uh, it quickly dissipates. It's here for a moment, and it doesn't even make it to the ground before it disappears. It kind of makes me think of, um, I remember being a kid and thinking like the first cold day of the year was the coolest thing because you could go outside and go, <sighs> and your breath would just, you know, and then you go to school and, and uh, act like, you know, as a little kid, act like you're smoking a cigarette or something. Like, look how cool I am. Which smoking's not cool, kids, just so you know. But anyways, um, what I, it's just interesting, you know, that, that vapor that comes from your mouth on a cold day, it's gone like that. This vapor here is gone, well, gone in a moment of seconds. And the other thing, though, that I noticed is that it doesn't have any control over where it goes. Like, I have this little nozzle that I can turn, and it turns direction a little bit, but ultimately, it's carried by the currents of the wind. If I blow, it goes wherever the wind carries it. It doesn't have control over where it goes. There's no way for it to control itself, and James is comparing you to this, that we're finite, that we don't know what tomorrow brings, that we're here for a moment and we're gone. And I'm talking about our finiteness is um, obviously on this side of heaven, that our life on earth is but a blip on the radar. I'm going to stop this because I'll just stare at it the entire time. Um, so let me take it down without spilling it and put it back down here. But yeah, now you're all going to be like, wow, that was cool. I want Pierce's humidifier. Um, 
Amazon. Okay, so um, now what does that communicate? It communicates that we are finite, that we don't know what tomorrow brings, right? Um, there's, there's, there's no way for you to know. And, and James brings up how we don't know what tomorrow holds, but that's being a little generous. We don't know what the next 10, minute, 10 minutes hold. Uh, we really don't. We don't know whether we are going to have our next breath supplied to us or not. Uh, we don't know whether we are going to leave here and make it home or not. We, we ultimately, we, or we don't know if Jesus is going to come back or not. We, we don't know. And, and ultimately, those things um, lead me to think that we ultimately don't have control. We don't. Uh, there's little to no control that we have over our circumstances whatsoever. And the fight for control is almost to a degree, it's like a part of the human condition is the fight for control. I mean, a lot of us, we spend our entire lives fighting to gain some ounce of control, some thread of control in our lives. And, and this is not just unique to you. It is a part of um, almost everyone. I mean, I was thinking about what is the self-help book industry other than a fight for control? right? And there's nothing, I mean, self-help books, uh, they, they have their role in our society, but, but ultimately, so think about this, um, the self-help books, this isn't YouTube, this isn't websites, this isn't life coaches, just self-help books a year in the United States is an $11 billion industry. It's one of the most sold genres of books. It is massive. And the majority of those titles, the majority of the, the, the push of those books is about gaining some kind of control in our lives, whether that's gaining control over one's finances or, um, I don't know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Finances, health, family, career, uh, mental health, emotions, right? Gaining control over things. And, and it's really good to have healthy practices and, and to do that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise and eat healthy and, and that stuff. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many blueberry and kale smoothies you drink, you're not going to defeat the 100% mortality rate. You're not. And, and once again, I'm not saying we shouldn't practice um, good, healthy practices. But what I'm getting at is that we ultimately don't control where the wind or, or when we're missed, where we go. We don't know what's coming next. Therefore, our boasting, our pride, our pride in arrogantly assuming that we can plan out our life and we know what's coming next, it's foolishness. And, and I know we're all guilty of this, of thinking and planning and, and operating in our lives as if we are the ultimate authority. In fact, this is a very big thing in our culture right now that you define your own destiny, take charge in your life. And that's what a lot of the self-help books are about. And the truth is, what we see in scripture is that the truth is you're just vapor. You're just mist. You're finite and you don't have ultimate control. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, the good news is we do know the one who does have ultimate control. Right? That is good news. That he's not just someone we know, but he is our friend. He is our good, good father. 
and he is the one with ultimate control. He's sovereign over all. So as Christians, we live out this finite uh, vapor of a life dependent on God for everything. And so point two this morning is that as believers, we should be living and planning dependently. We plan dependently. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, James is not rebuking planning in our passage. That's why I wanted to make sure I put in here plan dependently. He's not rebuking planning. Uh, Verse 15, as I mentioned, says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live to do this or that. So there's an assumption in this that you are planning, but that plan is going to be contingent upon God and his movement and desire in your life. Um, Real quickly, also in verse 15, uh, how he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. I I just want to real quickly just get at, this isn't isn't a statement from James um, commanding us to always make a statement of Lord willing or if the Lord wills before any statement about the future. Like, you know, when I brought up wearing masks, like next week masks are going to be optional, Lord willing. Like there's not a, there's not a mandate for me to include that on every statement in the future. Um, If you want to say it, I mean, you're more than welcome to say that. But what James is getting at is the heart behind it, right? The heart behind all of this. Um, Religious, religious phrases um, are really not the point because um, we diligently, as, as believers, we diligently plan for the future, but we know, um, we, we know that doing so, that we're not the ultimate authority. So our plan is made in submission to God and dependent on God and his will for our life. That's why we plan dependently. So Royce, uh, throw up, I have a, a photo, throw up the first photo for me. Um, that is a, what is it? A shark, right? Um, some of you, Jaws. Right. Uh, Does anyone know what kind of shark it is? Do we know? I actually have no clue. I was going (laughs) to... This is a quiz. No, I I don't know. I was asking you because my point isn't about the shark. The photo is actually not about the shark. It's about those little fish around it. Do you guys know what those little sucker fish are called? What is it? Bait. Bait. Yes. Um, lunch. Well, the fish is actually, it's called a remora. There's a, there you go. You can walk away with at least something. Those are called a remora. And, uh, and a remora is a really interesting fish because a lot of people think that they suction on, and who have seen these? Like you go out deep sea fishing, you've probably seen these on even boats. Sometimes they'll be on a boat. But um, the remora is a really interesting fish. A lot of people think that they suction onto to sharks or whales or whatnot with their mouths, but they actually don't. They have this weird suction thing on their head. It, Royce, if you want to go, I think it's the next photo. It's, yes. So that is the top of their head. Uh, really weird alien looking thing. But um, that is the suction cup on the top of their head. And they actually have a mouth underneath. And this uh, design allows them to suction onto the host animal, and their mouth is underneath, or, or however they're, maybe it's above, however they're situated on the fish or whale, but um, it allows them to then eat bits of food whenever the host fish or animal eats things. It allows them to get some kind of leftovers, and, uh, and that's how they feed. They also will eat different parasites and things that try to also attach onto 
the host animal. And these fish can actually get really large. If you want to go to the next one, I think is, um, so that, that's an idea of the size of one of them. They can actually get quite a bit larger than this. Um, but that is a pretty big size remora. And the thing that's interesting about a remora is that they're actually not very good swimmers. They're a fish, but they're not very good swimmers. And they live the majority of their lives out in the open ocean, and yet they don't have the internal organs that allow them to, to uh, dive on their own very deep. Um, they're, not allowed, they're not able to swim very quickly. And really, their, their entire existence and life depends on them being attached to a host to carry them from point A to point B. If they get stranded and away from their host, then it is very likely that they're not going to last very long in the open ocean. And also, they rely almost entirely on their host animal for food as well. And so everything that the host fish or whale does, wherever that larger fish or whale leads, that's where the remora necessarily must go if it wants to survive. So you could take down the photo um, because I wanted to connect this for us uh, in, in a similar way. You are like, although a prettier, you are like a remora. Um, you're welcome for that compliment. Um, <laughs> um, no, you are completely reliant upon God for your survival. Everything that you have, and James brings this up in the first chapter, James 1.17, that everything that you have that's good and pleasing and, and perfect in your life is given to you from the Father. That's where it comes from. It's not because you earned it. Um, because the ability to earn whatever you have was given to you by the one who gives those things, right? Um, it is ultimately given to you by God. And to think any differently um, is arrogance. And so as remoras ourselves, as vapor, we simply cling to God, knowing that he's the one who sustains us. So planning dependently is living in submission uh, to God and his will for our lives as we journey through the life he's called us to. And so, um, practically, I have a, a few ways that this, uh, I want to hit three ways that this practically looks like and kind of manifests in our life really quickly. Um, this isn't a, this isn't a, you know, every way that, that planning dependently as believers and fathers of Christ uh, would look like in our lives. However, I think um, these are three good ways, uh, three good things to hit on. So one is practically looking, planning dependently when we're coming to a large decision in life, when we're looking to switch careers or have another child, or maybe we're looking and we're staring down that, that retirement date or when that's going to come or um, lots of other things that could be large decisions in life, planning dependently means diligently seeking the Lord and his will through Bible study, through prayer, through wise counsel of other believers. Uh, we seek these things out and we ask to hear from God. And I know that you have likely done this many times, right? That is a good thing to do. And the thing is, we may get a clear answer from God. That's what we're hoping for, yeah? We want a clear answer one way or another, but oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we don't get that clear answer that we're wanting. But um, that doesn't change the fact that this is what planning dependently looks like. That we're diligently seeking the Lord first. And if his answer is, 
choose one or the other. You know, sometimes, I believe that sometimes God's will for us is, yeah, either one, just go. And, and sometimes uh, we have to make that decision. That's okay, though, if we're doing that under the submission of the will of the Father and how he leads us in those things. Um, also, because seeking the Lord in those things, this is a real quick little note. Uh, God cares more about who you are than what you're doing, because if you're the right person, then you're going to be doing the right things. And so uh, seeking the Lord in those things, he works in your heart and is shaping and molding you into the right person. And then as you do that, you're going to be stepping into the right things. Does that make sense? So um, another practical outworking of planning dependently looks like holding on to those plans loosely. I hope hope we're doing this, like not making a God of our plans. I've been a culprit to this. So students, it's those of you who are in school, it's wise to think about where you might go to college, if you're going to go to college, if you're not, um, what you might study if you're gonna study anything. Um, and those of us who uh, are maybe around my age, young couples, something like that, you might start thinking about uh, who you're going to marry, if you're going to marry, if you're gonna have kids, how many kids you might have, how much are you gonna save prior to having kids? Those are things that are good to plan, right? If you're working, it's good to uh, plan, or maybe you're getting close to retirement age, it's good to start thinking about and planning when that day might come. Um, it's good to uh, for all of us, no matter what your age, just to plan and, and save and put money aside for retirement. Can I get an amen, Jay Fine? <laughs> and uh, it, it's good for us uh, who are maybe, well, at any phase in life, it's good to plan what might happen to you um, or happen with your assets and, and your body and all of that after you pass, right? These are all good things to plan. But the thing is, um, it's, those things are wise to plan. But the thing is, as Christians, we hold on to our plans and how we attack the future very loosely because we know that we're not the ultimate authority and that God might throw down that trump card or veto it at any point. And as Christians, if we make our plans God rather than God God, then when he vetoes our plans, then everything gets thrown out of control. And we start rebelling against him, and we think that he's abandoned us, and all this different stuff, when really, truly, he has a good and perfect and pleasing plan for our life, and we're not living in submission to it. We just need to hold our plans loosely. Um, Another practical outworking, this is my last one of practical outworking, but uh, another practical outworking of planning dependently looks like a life that is holy lived for and to God. I know that's a weird statement. So a life that's lived wholly for and to God. What I mean by that is um, every, we understand that everything that we have is from him. So we can't compartmentalize. And I, I, I'm a culprit. I'm, a, I'm, you know, we're all, I think, guilty of doing that. Like I've got my job here, my career, and I've got my family here. And, and I've got the money I make here, and I've got my vacation plans here, and my retirement plans here. Oh yeah, and over here I have, I have Christ. And, and I give you 10%, so just leave me alone and let me deal with these other things. And the thing is, we can't live that way. Why? Because everything that we have was given to us. It's not ours to begin with. 
And knowing that changes everything. It changes the way that we go about it all because it's not ours. We're just stewards of what's been given to us, graciously given to us. And so that impacts the way that we work. Our work is no longer a means to make money so that we can pay for everything in our life. Instead, work is something that we do unto the Lord, as Paul instructs us to do, to work unto the Lord. But it also, it becomes a thing that we're now a gospel light in the place that God has placed us because we know that he's gifted us and placed us where he wants us to use us to build his kingdom, right? The same thing for the money that we make at that job, that it's no longer our money for us to spend on our pleasures and desires. Instead, it's the money that God has uh, given to us for this time, and we're to steward that money um, as he wills and be generous with that money as he leads us because he's been generous to us. And this works its way down to all kinds of stuff, the way that we raise our kids, the way that we lead our family, the way that we go on vacation. Like Karen and I are going to be going on vacation in July, and I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, but it, this impacts even the way that we rest, because now resting and going on vacation isn't just simply a time to escape because I want to escape, but now it becomes a time that God has gifted us to draw close to him and his heart as we relax and get a moment away, right? It, it changes the perspective. It shifts everything because everything is given to us by him. Does that make sense? How it changes everything, that everything then becomes lived for and to God. In all of this, everything in this should bring really joy to our hearts. Um, because one, as Christians, we know that God is a good father. We just sang about it, right? Uh, God is a good, good father who graciously provides. And if we are in Christ, if we have placed our faith in, in what Christ has done for us on the cross, his, his propitiation for our sins, God made, as we talked about last week, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are now ambassadors for him on this earth, living to build his kingdom, carry his good name to others who are lost and separated from him because of sin. If we are people who are have placed our faith in Jesus, then we know that our future is eternally secure. And so we have legitimate hope, no matter how bleak the circumstances might be, no matter how much our plans have unraveled, we know that our eternity is secure, that our hand in life, our, our, our life is in the hands of the one who has ultimate authority. And this should bring joy to our hearts and help us to live with boldness. Because think about this. Now you don't have to live life thinking you have to live everything perfectly and make every decision perfectly. How much of a burden is that lifted off your shoulders? Now it's not all about you getting every single decision right and having to weigh out everything perfectly. Instead, you can trust that God is going to lead and guide you for his own glory and for your good. And so you trust in that wholeheartedly, lean into him, and plan dependently. A faith that works depends on God. And I think we all have a lot to grow in this because uh, that, is, that is the Christian walk, is growing in dependence on God. Um, but that's what a faith that works looks like, especially when we look at 
our future? Are we living arrogantly, making decisions and, and choosing to live our own way? Or are we living dependently, humbly on God? Stand with me as we pray. We're going to sing, some so- sing a song together to close out the service. Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the fact that uh, you know all things. You, uh, you're sovereign over all things. And you have um, chosen us. And you love us. And you graciously provide for us. You graciously lead us and guide us. You have not only chosen to lead us and guide us through your word and through others, but you put your Holy Spirit in us that we may trust the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, your spirit that you've placed in us, Lord. Thank you for that. Um, Lord, I ask that this week as we go about our week and as we, as we go to work and, and, and go back to school or, or maybe enjoy the beginning of summer for some of those students, Lord, I, I ask that you help us to learn and, and lean into um, planning dependently. Uh, whatever that may tangibly need to look like in our lives, that you help us to live dependently on you, that you help us to full, full-heartedly step into um, what your plans are and desires are for our lives. You've gifted us with good things, but you've also gifted us with, um, with a meaning and a purpose to live out on this, in this life. And, and Lord, help us to step into that boldly as we trust that you are going to guide us. Um, Help us this week, and Lord, we ask that you um, help us to worship you now as we look to you through song. We pray this in Jesus' name.